I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Juliet Cook from Medina, Ohio. She'll be sharing her poems, talking about her press, that's Blood Pudding Press, and talking about the need for creative expression in our personal lives. Then, I'll be reviewing a new book, Patterson, Light and Shadow, just published by Serving House Books, a collection of Maria Maziati Gillen's poems and black and white photographs by Mark Hillinghouse. Stick around. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Juliet Cook. She's from Medina, Ohio, near Cleveland. She writes and publishes poetry that she mentioned in a note on Facebook. Why we're here tonight. I saw this note she put out. She said, you know, you write these poems, you submit these poems, they get accepted, you're happy, they're published. But sometimes you just wonder, does anybody read them? What's the impact? I send my poem out there and who receives it? And and that's an interesting question. I think just about anybody who writes asks that question. And so, Julia, I think we'll start with that, with getting some of your thoughts about that issue or question. What do you say? Okay, sure. I um, sometimes find myself wondering if my poetry has much of an audience, if any audience. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not someone that's that's writing to like get a widespread audience. I like the idea of people, of some people, you know, reading and maybe relating to my work and maybe being moved by my work in a certain way. But even if no one read it and no one related to it, I would still be writing because it's just my primary passion in life. So um, no matter what other people think of my poetry, I'd still be writing it. I've been doing it for 20 some years. So I guess that's my main point of view on that. Yeah. That's, uh, did, did you, uh, did something particular happen that kind of kicked you into uh, writing poetry regularly 20 some years ago? I don't think so. I think I've always, I mean, even when I was a kid, I was into poetry, but back when I was in um, high school and stuff, the type of English didn't have anything to do with contemporary poetry. It was, you know, old school poetry that we were taught in English class. So I didn't get into reading more contemporary poetry until I was in college. And my college major was in creative writing. And then I found it really powerful to discover poetry that talked to the way people actually talk and seeing poetry had a lot of different perspectives on life and a lot of different, you know, lifestyle thoughts and feelings. And that made me all the more driven to using poetry as a forum for expressing my own thoughts and feelings, I guess. Yeah. Can you remember uh, some of the poets you first discovered when you went, wow, some poetry can sound like real people talking? Who were those early people you ran into? Yeah, I remember um, I was I mean, this may sound a little cliched because a lot of people are into her, but I remember being very into Anne Sexton's (laughs) poetry. And, but, you know, I mean, that was a a while ago now, so I'm not going to remember everyone that I was into because I, because anymore, it's like I, I do a lot of my reading via online literary magazines and recent print literary magazines, and I'm always discovering new poets and such. So I don't have like one set in stone favorite poet, but I do remember Sexton being like one that I was wowed by early on. Yeah, it's always interesting when you just find somebody that uh, 
I know other poets may have done it, but I remember I had a real reaction to an, an early Eileen Miles book. Okay. And it was that kind of thing because she just, her poems, she uses those short kind of Bukowski lines and the poems just roll down the page. And, and also, like, I don't have any one set style of poetry that I'm drawn to when it comes to other people's poetry. Like, I probably have my own style of writing, but I like a whole variety of different styles. So um, I tend to be more drawn to kind of emotional, personal poetry and stuff. But there's a lot of different styles I like. Well, you did name your press Blood Pudding Press because you said too many poems didn't sound like, I guess I'd say, intense enough for you. I yeah. to suggest that that's what you're looking for, that's what you're interested in. Yeah, I guess I don't, overall, I don't like lighthearted um, poetry. But, you know, there are always exceptions. I mean, when I started my press, I was maybe a little bit younger and angrier. And maybe there was like a popular poet that was getting all this attention. And I thought his poetry was way too lighthearted for me. And I didn't know why people were drawn to it. So I just named my press Blood Pudding Press. Um, because I guess I'm more drawn to, I don't know, the visceral, the emotional stuff that seems like it's coming from within and then coming out in the form of poetry. Sounds good. Well, why, why don't you read us a poem? Okay. <laughs> Anything you like. Um, okay. Well, um, I have a few out here and the, I have the first two are shortish and they both have the same title. They're both called not a baby doll. Okay. You, you do the, the, the pair. Yep. I'll do the pair of two. Not a baby doll. You and your prenatal baby dreams, in which I am the baby inside you, trying to rip myself out and get away. Your fear of giving birth to something that will grow and turn into its own self. My extreme aversion to a life of being tied up to a lineup of used baby toys and someone else's clothes. You act like giving birth is the only thing certain parts of the body are good for. Babies explode out my eye holes in bad dreams. They rip out my own lips. They replace my mouth with gurgling sounds. And here's the second, not a baby doll. Maybe those baby birds answered a question in a way that the wind didn't like and then received a short response, a simple never mind, before they were flung out of their nest and ignored and replaced with an unmoving doll. Maybe that mother placed the real baby back inside her mortar and pestle, started grinding while thinking about blackbird pie because I was her least favorite baby, the baby who couldn't sit still the baby who didn't want to stay in the space she had placed me. I'd rather create my own space capsules and let them float out of my own mouth. Whoa. Were they written close together in time or were they, was it like a topic they, yeah, they visited? Were written, they were written very close together in time. I think I, I, I think I might have another one too. I don't have that one in front of me, but it was sometimes like, um, with my poetry, like similar content comes out all at once. And I could, e I could either make it into like 
one long all over the place poem or I could cut it into several poems. So those I thought were two separate poems, but yet similar theme in a way. So I just yeah. gave them the same title and made them into two different poems. I have to say any poem about childbirth kind of uh, as a male who could never know makes me go, Oh my God, it must be talk about intense. <laughs> Some, somebody, I forget who it was. Oh, oh I think Amy King. On, who's a friend of yours on Facebook? Had, yeah. had had recently put up some kind of post about some guys with bad attitudes. Let's say, I suppose you could say, was who this was directed to, and say, remember, you know, somebody went through great pain to give you birth. That's why you're here. <laughs> and I just, yeah, yeah, right. That's a very good thought. I think when I when I said that that um, comment about some of my poetry being kind of visceral is I think, I mean, I don't have any kids. I never literally gave birth to any babies, but I think a lot of my um, poetry just somehow like parts of my body and, and blood and pain come into the poetry to an extent. But I think that the content of those two was more about um, me like and this isn't based on any other particular individual, but me not wanting anyone except myself to be in control of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's talking about a message you would hope people would read and understand and, you know, be moved by. That's something mm -hmm. you'd, you'd want to tell people. I mean, you're speaking for yourself, but you'd like others to have that same thought as a mm -hmm. message that should be out there. Right. More. That everyone should be just, you know, view it as an individual and not part of any particular group. Yeah. Yeah. How about another one? Okay. This one is maybe somewhat similar, maybe even a little bit darker. Um, it's called, This Body is a Blooming Corpse Flower. Sugar skulls turn into embryos. I shove them down my throat in order to abort them again. My womb is just a crawl space filled with little fake dick and hairy discharge instructions. I walk around in circles, hissing, backward soprano pickup lines, and watch the blood drip down out of my lips, flooding another room into a corpse vat. The shape of my mouth was contorted, he used to tell me. He wanted to explore it with his divining rod. He didn't understand how I could swallow it all, and spit the pieces out the other side. Watch the rotten meat cascade down into the casket before the stench escalated and attacked more womanly flesh. We are all born screaming until we die gagging or dissolve inside someone else's solvent. Yeah, I'd say that's a little darker. <laughs> Sometimes when uh, people, people that don't know me or don't encounter me in any, any way in like real life or in conversational mode, just hear my poetry, they think I'm kind of on the dark side. And, but I guess the thing with me and my poetry is like when it comes to dark feelings or depressed feelings or sad feelings, I get them out in my poetry and art. Like in real life, I'm not some doomsday, you know, dark negative person but i feel that if i didn't expel some of those thoughts in my poetry then i'd maybe be depressed and more negative than i act in real life and instead i get that stuff out through my poetry and art and then i can 
be more, I don't know, normalized in real life, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like you have a good understanding of, of how poetry yeah does work with you, with your own personal psyche. Um, yep. It's like you prescribe, you almost can prescribe yourself. I better write a poem about this before I get too bummed out. <laughs> yep. That's possible. Um, I know people who do that. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying, I think. Yeah, and... um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I don't, I'm not sure what else to uh, say about it. But yeah, I sometimes I feel like if I um, kept certain thoughts and feelings um, stuck inside, I'd be like repressed. And instead, I want to express them in my own way. And, so, and for me, that's poetry and, and also visual art. It helps me get stuff out so I don't feel like just repressed and just um, I don't know, invisible, I guess. And, and the odd thing about that is, you know, maybe hardly anyone's reading my poetry. So to an extent, it's still invisible, but it's not completely invisible because I got it out and it's on paper and it exists and it's not stuck inside me anymore. Yeah. And with the visual art, I, I kind of missed that when I breezed around your Facebook page. Um, I mean, do you do art? Do you do that to the extent that, like, you do shows and galleries and stuff like that, or do you cover art for your press, or uh, what do you do with the visual art? Um, well, with the visual art, for I, I just sort of like did it. Um, I don't do gallery shows or anything. I sort of like just did it on the side for years and didn't really think of myself as a real visual artist. But yeah. then I, but then at some point in time, I started thinking what constitutes a real visual artist? You know, it's not like you have to have some, right. Fine. You don't have a college degree in art. Who cares? Like when it comes to other poets, do I care whether or not they have a college degree? No, I care about whether I like their poetry or not, you know? So, um, and then also at, at some point in time, like about, I'm terrible with timing, but I don't know about seven or eight years ago, I had this unexpected, I, um, not to go into a bunch of detail about it, but I literally had a stroke that caused me for a certain amount of time to, like basically I had to relearn language. I had to relearn wow. the alphabet. I had to relearn to read using children's books and that kind of thing. I remember being, my my main concern being a, was am I going to be able to write poetry again? What if I can't get the words to come out anymore? And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, my passion for poetry is what made me heal so well. But during that kind of interim time, since I couldn't write as well as I used to, and since I had word issues for a while, I got more into the visual art because it almost seemed like if I couldn't get it out in poetry words, I could get it out in visual art. So I would do these kind of semi-abstract painting collage art type of things. And I still do that from time to time. I don't... Um, you know, I don't have shows for it or anything, but I do sometimes like design the cover art of the chapbooks that my press publishes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. That was, oh, that would be so scary to, uh, yeah. yeah the, the language thing. Yeah, it was, oh yeah, I was, I was, uh, when it um, first happened, I, um, like I said, I had to relearn the alphabet and that kind of thing. And I was actually nervous about, um, trying to write a poem after that because I was just worried like yeah. because okay like even when it got to the point where I could like read again 
I'd read one of my own poems that I had written a few months before that happened, and it didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, what the heck of my own poems don't make sense to me. But, but then once I took it to the point of trying to write again, um, I definitely still had my, you know, had my passion for poetry and my poetry words in my brain, but they did come out like a little bit different for a while. Like they came out as shorter and more abstract than they used uh -huh. to. Wow. And it's a scary, but interesting process to observe for yourself. Yeah. Definitely scary too. And until it looked like, yeah, okay, I'm back. Yep. <laughs> and then you, that, that would feel different. Okay. I'm back. Yep. And I don't um, think that most people that talk to me would even know that I had, you know, had a stroke or what have you, but no, I still, but I know because I still have like, like I have the weird thing about it is the part of my brain that was lost is the part that deals with easy little words. So I have to like concentrate it, like with, when it comes to stuff like colors and shapes and sizes and stuff, but the big words come out fine. Ah, oh, that is, yeah. The, the brain is so damn mysterious. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, let's, let's hear another poem. Okay. I'm sure. We get some um, poetry with the conversation. Okay. Um, well, this, this one, this one that I'm going to read next, I'm not even sure how I feel about it yet because this is literally the most recent poem that I wrote. Like I finished it a few days ago. So, you know, we'll see. I don't even know, but this just came out of me a few days ago and it's a little bit longer. It has three different sections Cool. and it's called rapid transit witchery. One, everybody wants to take one side or the other. Nobody wants to try on my pajama bottoms, but yet they'll tell me my ass is grass because it's not the same size as theirs. They are trying to narrow us down into small covens in which anyone who doesn't pick a side or shape will be set on fire. Two, anyone who doesn't agree will be surrounded and run over by heavy duty lawnmowers and ceiling foam shoved down your throat. You cannot be you anymore. You are nobody special. You are another rabid animal spewing your own shrapnel and you need to be contained and then converted into their pack of rabid animals. Three, what if I don't take sides? What if I view them all ravage each other? I watch the bleeding goats turn into bleeding ghosts with invisible skin and sounds that are no longer heard. In my dream, I am foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog. I wake up in a panic, bark it out onto the page, and then I evaporate. Whoa, that's interesting. Now, I have to ask, as um, it's just me, but where's the rap? I missed the rapid transit. How did you get that title? Well, oh, actually, there's an interesting answer to how I got that title. It's the, okay, so I have, so like I said, I have word issues with little words. So I yeah. had posted a, a few lines from that poem on my Facebook page. And the guy I'm involved with said, I think you meant rabid, not rapid, because in the part where I talk about rabid dogs, I had accidentally spelled it rapid because my brain always does this thing where it confuses P's and B's or like W's and M's. Like, so like I hadn't even noticed my own spelling error. So that's why I came up with that title because it was, you know, no one else is going to know what it means, but because I had spelled 
rabid rapid and didn't even realize it until someone else pointed it out. And, yeah. plus I, and, I, and I did notice the word rabid near the end because I was looking at the page where I wrote down the title. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Now you you mentioned yeah you're interested you're kind of interested in witchery, is that true? Um, I'm not. Re I don't consider myself a a no. witch or you know I'm not in no I'm not like interested in witchery. I mean not that I have no interest in it, but it's not like uh -huh. you know I'm not literally part of some witch coven or something. <laughs> no, I just I think it was mentioned somewhere. It's mentioned on your Facebook page. Which oh, is, yeah. I, I think, you know, on some of the blues songs, I think concepts like Mojo. It's just yeah, so I think I, you know, I, think I mentioned it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so you got, the, you got the witch woman, you got the Mojo man, and it's just <laughs> interesting. And there's this touch of mystery to it that makes it appealing, I think. Well, I think the reason I sometimes call myself a witch is because I think I look kind of witchy because I have like this, I mean, I'm not as down on my looks as I used to be when I was younger, but when I was younger, I used to have issues with my nose because I thought that I had this long, crooked nose that looked like a witch nose. Oh, wow. You're being very traditional with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think, I think we have time for, uh, for, for, for another poem, if you'd like. That would be good. Okay, let me, I actually only had those poems out, so I have okay. to find one more and grab one more. But how many how many books do you about uh, chat books books do you publish uh, like in a year? My press is really small. I mean, I'm the only one that runs it, and I don't and I don't want like my. It's okay. On one hand, I think it's important. I mean, I think basically it's poets that publish other poets, so I want to help with that to a to 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 a certain extent. But on the other hand, I don't want like to have this big press where like that stuff is overtaking my own writing and my own art mm -hmm. and my own reading and that kind of thing. So in right. recent years, I basically publish um, like three chat books a year would be the norm. This year I'm doing four for some reason, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't publish a whole lot. Um, and well, I just uh, said, no, that's really reasonable because you, you don't want, you don't want to yeah. be just a publisher and you don't have time to be a poet. Did you find a poem? Yes, I found one more, and um, okay, let's do it. this is a fairly recent one, too. And, um, well, I'll just read it. It's called When I Used to Be a Little Girl. And this is another one of those series where I have, like, probably three different poems that are called When I Used to Be a Little Girl. This is the second one. Mm. My sisters and I picked bunches of the dead off the ground and formed a mound, then carried one of the cats in front of the Cicada Mountain and watched the cats eat our offering. At least the insects were already dead, and we were children who later grew up, became our own individual living creatures. We were not adults with show-off child brat brains. We were not adults who wanted to be in charge of everyone else, even though we didn't really care about anyone else. We did not want a leader who would tilt nests upside down, watch the baby birds fall out, and call himself the boss as they died. We're doing this at midnight, which mm -hmm. is interesting. You are you're the first uh, person that I've done a podcast with who requested that we do it uh, like <laughs> around this time or later, or if you want to call it earlier in the morning. <laughs> um, would people be interested to know uh, why you have an unusual schedule? Um, I. Well, I, um, 
I don't really know why I have an unusual schedule. I, I, I mean, due to the um, stroke and the brain damage, I'm, you know, technically disabled or what have you. So I don't have a regular job. So I somehow got myself into this schedule in recent years where um, I just, like, I think I had always been kind of a night owl and a late night person, but I, that didn't mean I could always stay up until like 3 a.m. or what have you. And now I've gotten myself to the point where like 3 a.m. is early for me to go to bed and I just have a, I don't know, non-standard schedule because there's nothing I, usually not that many things I have to do at a set time. And just like anyone else, you know, I get, I usually aim for like eight hours of sleep and then I'm working on stuff throughout the day, but it's just, I don't have the standard routine type of schedule. Oh, that that is pretty interesting. I think people will be interested to know (laughs) you're simply doing this by choice or choice from your natural inclination to be up late and then going with it. And right. And then plus, which if you're working on art and poetry stuff late at night, it's tends to be quieter. You're not hearing a lot of background noise. Your phone's not ringing. People aren't, most people are in bed. So you're just doing your own thing without interruption. Yeah. Yeah. There's that nice feeling when that feeling I'm awake and nobody else is. <laughs> no, you know, somebody is, but it just has that good feeling to it. I think I, I agree with you. That's great. Well, okay, uh, Juliet, this has been really good. I'm glad I noticed your post on Facebook, wondering if anybody gives a damn. And uh, it made me uh, give a damn and think, well, if we put some of your poems here on Poetry Spoken here, a few more people out there in the world will encounter them. Yes, well, thank you very much for um, connecting with me and having me read some poems on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, That's it for now. We've been talking with Julia Cook out there in Ohio. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Ohio poet Julia Cook. And now I'd like to tell you about a wonderful new publication. Maria Masiati-Gillen was featured in Poetry Spoken Here, podcast number 11, with other poets in a special thematic podcast on the poetry of family and home. Her new book emphatically affirms her as a master of the poetry of home and place. Patterson, Light and Shadow, just published by Serving House Books, is a collection of Gillen's poems and the black and white photographs of Mark Hilringhaus. Together, the poems and photos create a picture of Patterson, New Jersey, as seen over the years from varied viewpoints, as well as documenting what it was like to grow up there in the middle of the 20th century. Both Gillen and Hilringhaus have a long and intimate history with the town. The merging of these two stories is evident in the poems. Here's an example with a few excerpts from a poem called In the Still Photograph, Patterson, New Jersey, circa 1950. We were standing in a backyard, part of a porch is visible, a lattice heavy with roses, a small tree. Beyond the bushes in the background, a woman with her hand on her hip stares at us. My father is young. He squints into the sun. He wears a white shirt, flowered tie, a pair of gabardine pants and dress shoes. His hair is thick and crew-cut, 
My mother wears high-heeled black shoes with a strap across the ankle. The nylons and the black dress printed with large flowers, her hair bobbed and neat. Other members of the family are then described, and then she goes on with these final stanzas. I think of my mother's preparations, the rough feel of the washcloth, the life boy soap against my face, the stiff, starched feel of my blouse, the streets of Patterson old and cracked, houses leaning together like crooked teeth, the yards that grow larger as we climb the hill, the immigrant gardens. We walk back home in early evening, after the grown-ups have espresso and anisette, and we small jelly glasses of juice, my brother's hand in mine, I pretend to be grown up. Dreams cluster around my head like a halo, while crickets fill the summer evening with their shining web of song. The poem is accompanied by a photo of a long, unused warehouse engulfed in lush vegetation of untended shrubbery and trees that have been left to go wild. The photos complement the memoir aspect of the book, while they also document Patterson. Another way I could say that is that Gillen's poems provide a personal context for the public spaces you see in House photographs. Of course, there's a picture of the Great Falls, a landmark that's familiar to any bookstore affectionado. We've been looking at those falls on the cover of William Carlos Williams' book, Patterson, for nearly half a century. There are also photographs of East Side High School Cafeteria, the front door of school number 18, both schools attended by Gillen. The Patterson Public Library facade and stacks, that's a building important to Maria's growth and development, as the poems attest. In one poem, she's threatened by bullies at lunchtime in the high school cafeteria. In another, she is humiliatingly accused of theft by a librarian who fundamentally did not trust the Italian-American child of immigrants. Other photos add to the mood, such as a Passaic River Fog, Lou Costello's Boxing Gym, and some abandoned factories. I'd read some of these poems of Gillen's in earlier collections, but somehow, in this context, they gain power as they play off each other with and with Hillbring's house superb photographs. I've been to Patterson numerous times. I'm familiar with Gillen's work, but this carefully selected collection of poems and pictures has deepened my appreciation and feeling for the place. Both uh, Maria Maziati Gillen and Mark Hillringhouse have uh, websites. To see more of Hillringhouse's photographs, go to m-h-i-l-l-r-i-n-g-h-o-u-s-e dot zenfolio dot com. And for Gillen, simply go to mariagillen.com. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. 
For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.